Welcome to the Clean Fuels podcast, uh, hosted by me, uh, Benjamin Greenfield, uh, manager of Clean Fuels and Hydrogen at Pipermatics. Uh, the aim of this four-part series is to shed light on the ever-evolving landscape of sustainable and low-carbon alternative fuel sources, such as hydrogen and biofuels. We'll be speaking with in-industry experts to discuss their various applications, benefits, and the potential challenges in bringing these products to market. Welcome everyone again to the Clean Fuels and Hydrogen podcast. Uh, I'm fortunate today to be joined uh, by uh, Chris Shugart, SVP of Operations at Ambient Fuels. Uh, Chris comes from a really, really long line of uh, industry-leading companies in the renewable space, such as uh, Rev Renewables and Pattern Energy. Uh, Chris, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Uh, happy to be here. I have to say it's my uh, first time being on a podcast, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm new to this myself, so we're we're both in the same boat. Um, uh, I'd love for you to start off just by telling us a little bit more about your background. I know you've you've been in this space for a while now, right? So just give us a little bit more color as to as to you know your time in this space. All right, happy to do it. Um, so uh, started my career in the the gas turbine power. I've been in energy my whole career and in power uh, my whole career. Um, started out. First with an equipment manufacturer, getting to know how some of this machinery works, uh, but then fairly early on uh, recruited into uh, Calipine, which is one of the early uh, gas fire development generation companies. Uh, and, and really um, my, my specialty there became industrial cogeneration. And I, I really loved getting into heavy industry, getting into refineries and chemical plants, understanding how they use energy, um, how they make their products, how they make money, uh, and working with them on energy efficiency uh, opportunities to bring technology uh, and commercial um, solutions together in a way that, that worked great for them. So that was kind of my first foray into uh, what would kind of later become my, my career in clean energy um, around the mid 2000s when, when renewables were kind of just starting to, to take off. I, uh, I made the leap out of kind of the, the well-established industry into what was at that time uh, pretty early days for wind uh, in the mid 2000s. I joined uh, what ultimately became Pattern Energy, which was one of the bigger uh, wind um, pure play owner operators. Uh, had the pleasure there of, of working in, in both development uh, and then as we um, put steel on the ground and, and got a lot of, um, of wind built, also had some opportunities to work in the operational side to understand uh, what it's what it's like to once you've built these things, keep them running efficiently and uh, and pumping out that uh, green power. So um, spent most of my career there. Uh, had a a wonderful time with that. Um, I would say uh, about two years ago, um, wind had become a, a very mature business. You know, it, it went from a very niche, very um, emerging industry when I first got into it to now you know a very middle of the fairway, very mature business. And I was kind of ready to do something new to kind of look at what's uh, what's the next thing out there for um, for clean energy, and that's how I uh, I came to join Ambient Fuels earlier this year, and uh, now excited to be working uh, with a pioneer in green hydrogen. Awesome, awesome, and um, you know I'm sure that uh, you know hydrogen, clean fuels, they've been on your radar for a while. Um, and uh, I'm sure, you know, since you've joined Ambient Fuels, right, it's even more so, uh, you know, integral part of, of your day to day. Um, how would you define uh, clean fuels and the hydrogen market, um, you know, in terms of a broad overview, but also more like 
specifically like how it relates to heavy industry and, and decarbonizing that that aspect of the market? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start um, really big picture, and it's part of what attracted me to the space in the first place. Um, you know, there, there's obviously a, a an enormous global push now for decarbonization broadly, um, and the majority of that is going to be addressed with renewable energy technologies that I was talking about. So wind and solar and batteries and transmission um, are really going to do a good job of addressing, you know, about two thirds of kind of the global carbon emissions that uh, we've got to find strategies for for reducing, but there's about a third of, about 30% of global carbon emissions, um, particularly in industrial sectors, uh, where, you know, electricity can't really be the, an effective solution. You, know, you, need a, you need a molecule either to be a feedstock to, to make other products, uh, or you need very, temp very high temperature heat that, that's hard to replicate with electricity. Um, so that's what really I found really intriguing about this space was, hey, here, here's a whole nother basket of decarbonization that up to now, um, the world hadn't made a lot of progress on, but but now, uh, for a number of reasons, look like it's positioned to to have a lot of uh, a lot of success. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, why would you say why clean fuels and hydrogen, and why now? And you know, you you might you know, might have been hearing about this a little bit more than me further back, but you know, why is the uh, clean fuels and hydrogen in relation to decarbonizing heavy industry manufacturing becoming kind of more of a, a, a bigger conversation? Yeah, it's, it, is, it is wild um, how far that has gone in the last 18 months, right? Um, I, I actually first looked at green hydrogen 18 months ago um, at the time decided to do something else for a short interim period. Uh, but at the time, it, it still felt... Um, very uh, theoretical, very, let's, let's write, do some research and write some white papers. And I've always been a put steel in the ground guy. So it, it didn't, you know, 18 months ago, it didn't quite feel like, um, and I think this turned out to be accurate. It wasn't quite ready to start deployment yet, but it was, it was turning the corner and starting to really intrigue some people. And I, I think it was a couple of things. I think um, you, you were, uh, I, I think the biggest thing was the, you know, considerably more focus um, from pretty much all industries on decarbonization. That you know, until not very long ago, it was a, something that was you know either not on radar at all or as an aspirational thing for 2050. It's a long way away. Uh, I'm not sure we get there yet. I think over the last 18 months, you know, certainly very much pre-IRA, you, you were seeing a lot of emphasis from. Uh, investors, from customers, from uh, employees, uh, a, a lot of different factors pushing um, industrial uh, businesses in the world uh, in this direction. So uh, just in the last 18 months, there's been a serious, you know, look in this direction uh, to, to think about decarbonization strategies in heavy industry and begin to find, you know, some of the low-hanging fruit opportunities that, that made sense and, and could get moving. And even pre-IRA, we were finding some of those, you know, we were finding um, opportunities where it was just, just the right mix of what, what their needs are, what their um, their motivations were as a company. Uh, maybe it was still a little bit of a cost premium, but um, you know, a lot of industries could say, hey, I, I, I've got a really good reason why this makes sense to me. Um, I, I can get value from my customers for that, or uh, it's part of our you know, overall corporate strategy around decarbonization. Uh, so there's already, um, I think, pre-IRA 
momentum building in that space. There was technology uh, momentum building, uh, but it, it's certainly been, um, you know, I think first some of the events in Europe that, that radically changed the economics of all kinds of energy. Uh, and shortly after that, the IRA. So it's been pretty phenomenal from, you know, 18 months ago, a couple of people more in the academic R&D space is doing white papers. So now the, the political amount of energy going into the space to actually make this happen is, is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, all of that makes sense. And, you know, I think to a lot of us, uh, you know, especially in industry professionals, we'll know exactly why uh, heavy industry manufacturing is a, a huge area that, you know, we need to focus on decarbonizing. For someone that may not be as familiar with why that industry in particular is so critical that we decarbonize, um, walk, you know, walk us through like, you know, what about heavy industry and manufacturing lends itself to needing to be decarbonized and why perhaps hydrogen, for example, is a, presents to be like a unique solution to doing so. Yeah. So probably everybody has driven by a refinery or an ammonia plant at some point in their life and just saw the, the scale of these facilities of um, just that just so you get a sense of the magnitude of these operations. Uh, and you also get a sense from looking at them that they're very technically complex. There's a lot of different you know, pieces of equipment and hardware uh, to, to accomplish whatever their business is. And it's a very energy intensive, intensive business. You know, they use a lot of energy, a lot of electricity, a lot of natural gas um, to ultimately make, make their products. Um, you know, I, I kind of think of two main um, flavors of, of heavy industry, um, particularly as it relates to um, hydrogen. So the, the first is where hydrogen is needed as a feedstock. So you, it's actually a raw material that you're using to make your products, whether that's to, um, uh, to desulfurize gasoline or to make ammonia for fertilizers. Uh, so it, it is a key ingredient, if you will, in, in your product, and, and it's something that, that you've got to have hydrogen, and in that part of the business, it's more a question of how you're going to make it. Um, so it's not a question of, you know, should I use hydrogen or not? They, they, they do, and they have for a long time. Um, the vast majority of hydrogen, you know, consumed in the world today is, is in those heavy industries for feedstocks. Um, and so it really is about how do you, um, how do you make it, and today, Almost all of it is made from natural gas, and you're, you're literally taking a, a methane molecule, breaking it open to get the, the hydrogen. If you remember your chemistry, it's CH4. Uh, so you break that molecule open uh, to take the hydrogen, but then all the CO2 is, or all the carbon ends up getting vented to the atmosphere as CO2. Uh, and then there's additional fuel consumption for heating and things that, that adding more CO2. So it's been a you know very reliable, relatively low cost source of hydrogen but it's a very high carbon um, process. Uh, and so that, that industry um, you know, has, has known that, that hydrogen has got to be, cleaning up their hydrogen production has got to be a huge part of their decarbonization overall. Because for, for the companies in those industries, what I just described there is a, is a you know, substantial portion of their, of their greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so maybe I'll come back to in a minute, um, some of the pathways they have, uh, but the, the other part of industry I think about is um, industries that primarily are using natural gas today and, and using it primarily for heat. Uh, so it could be furnaces, could be boilers, but you're, you're, you're burning natural gas to make heat. Um, and so you don't have to use hydrogen. Um, anything that will create heat works for you. All you, you know, heat is what you're looking for. You're not needing hydrogen per se for, um, for a feedstock. So 
Um, that is a uh, an even bigger universe than than the feedstock uh, part that I mentioned, um, and, and that's exciting. Where uh, you know you can there certainly are things like um, biomass or renewable natural gas. There are there's, there are a variety of, of alternative fuels that are available um, for meeting that sector, and so there it's more about uh, how do, how can hydrogen compete with those other um, uh, sources of heat uh, in, in economics and carbon footprint and things like that. So it's, it's cool. We're, we're talking to customers every day and kind of both of those lanes. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, it's interesting you touched upon both hydrogen and like other forms of biofuel, such as like RNG and things of that nature. Um, on our first episode, uh, where we kind of covered like a holistic view of the market with our guest, uh, Naomi, um, uh, who, uh, Naomi Bonus, I'm actually, you're, you're familiar with her, right? You guys have a little bit of a, some crossover, um, uh, right? We do. Yeah. She's, she's an advisor to Ambient Fuels and she's been amazing as you, as you know, on your, your call, uh, runs the, the hydrogen program at Stanford there, which is one of the leaders in this, in this space on the academic front. So she's been a, a wonderful source of, of advice for us and, and certainly has a, uh, a very broad view of. The, the broader universe beyond kind of some of the the focused heavy industries I've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you know, I think what what's unique about Naomi, um, and one thing I want to uh, raise with you is, you know, she kind of touched upon the fact that you know both biofuels such as RNG, such as um, you know sustainable aviation fuels and things of that nature, and then you have hydrogen. Mm -hmm. All those different uh, types of products have different decarbonization applications. Um, you yeah. touched upon, let's say, if we're talking about RNG and hydrogen, right? Those are two examples. They're both contenders, right? To, let's say, decarbonize yeah. heavy industry and manufacturing. Um, I know you, you know, and Ambient Fuels have a vested interest in hydrogen being the golden ticket, right? Just based off of what you guys do. But um, can you speak to a little bit, like, maybe the a bit of the differences between the two and where you could foresee one edging out the other? Yeah. And first of all, I'm definitely in the uh, all the above camp. I think any technology that we could talk about that's a decarbonization pathway, there are places and industries and use cases where it makes sense. So that's something we, we spend a lot of time trying to think through uh, various industries. Uh, how does hydrogen fit in each of those? Where are we going to be competitive uh, today? Where are we going to be competitive tomorrow? Um, so, you know, on the on the hydrogen feedstock side of things where, where you have to make hydrogen, but it's, it's really a question of how do you make it? Um, you know, we're, we're focused on electrolysis of, uh, of, of water to create hydrogen with electricity. Um, the other main pathway is starting with something like natural gas. Um, blue hydrogen is the name you'll hear, but uh, starting with natural gas, uh, doing something similar to what I described earlier, where you're separating the carbon, but you're capturing the carbon, and then you're you're sequestering the carbon or making other products. Um, both of those make you know an end clean hydrogen that that our customers are, are frankly fairly indifferent to that end product. So it really is about uh, the economics, the the risks of developing the technology. Um, there's a place for both of those pathways in the long run. I think we and I think most experts think that. Uh, green hydrogen is going to win that that you know the biggest market share there. It's got the most promise for costs coming down, uh, you know both you know the capital costs, the cost of the renewables, which is a big part of the feedstock, uh, and efficiency. Uh, so so long, long run, we think green hydrogen is going to win that um, that battle. But there's a lot of applications that, that are moving ahead with 
blue hydrogen pathways that, that do make a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, you, you mentioned some of the things like uh, sustainable aviation fuels or uh, renewable um, diesel. In a lot of those cases, um, we're, we're actually uh, a, essentially a, uh, a feedstock into those production processes. So we're not necessarily competing with those. This is what's so fascinating about this, this whole hydrogen space. So you take hydrogen, for example, you can make a hydrogen fueled airplane. Um, but I think, you know, what, what seems to, to be heading toward getting more of market share is sustainable aviation fuels that end up looking like, you know, a, a jet fuel that you have today. So you can use all your equipment you've got, but making that stuff uh, often requires hydrogen. So oftentimes, you know, we're saying, hey, maybe we're not selling to the, to the airplane operator. Maybe we're, maybe we're selling to the SAF uh, producer um, who needs, you know, sources of clean hydrogen as they're making that product. Um, and there's similarly, um, you know, hydrogen pathways to make uh, green gasoline or, or green methanol or other things where you're still using those end products, but you're making them in a, in a much more environmentally friendly way. Um, so, I, you know, I think almost any sector we can think of, it's not so much um, competition for us. It's kind of where do we plug into that space? Are we competing for the end use or are we kind of a part of their, uh, of their production processes? So it's been kind of fun to work through that. And every piece of the sector was a little bit different there. <laughs> I, I really, really love, Chris, how you touched upon, uh, or sorry, the way you touched upon all the, that, those points, specifically with the fact that you guys aren't competing with each other. You know, one thing we talked about on the first episode was potentially the all or nothing mentality or this way or that way mentality that a lot of people within the industry as a whole, whether it's oil and gas, you know, conventional uh, oil and gas or conventional fossil fuels against renewables, or whether it be hydrogen against, you know, biofuels, you know, and, and this mentality, uh, this, this aspect of dropping the all or nothing mentality and thinking about it more as kind of deploying everything all at once, you know, there's no re there's, there's no golden ticket to each different application. You know, um, there are people that argue that um, sustainable aviation fuels or biofuels are better for aviation, even though hydrogen is potentially an option for aviation uh, and vice versa with other different applications. Um, and I, I think it's, it's true. I think that, you know, we, we need to think of all these different um, solutions as an option and not claiming one to be the best versus the other. Um, and you're absolutely right that, you know, hydrogen can be used to power a facility that's producing sustainable aviation fuels, right? And I think that's something a lot of people yeah. potentially don't realize, <laughs> you know. Um, so uh, I love that you touched upon that. Um, yeah. What would you say are some of the, the challenges? Uh, you probably know firsthand, like what challenges, you know, you're running into at ambient fuels or challenges, you know, other people are running into with, you know, deploying hydrogen on the market, especially when it comes to decarbonizing heavy industry. What would you say are like the key things that that you think are going to be the major roadblocks? Yeah, and and part of that, I, I think about, you know, we're, we're pitching customers every day uh, in this space. And as I kind of think through what, what, you know, the, the cycle we tend to go through with our customers and, and uh, how that translates to ultimately getting these facilities built. Um, you know, the, in the, and, and it's amazing how fast the industry is moving through these steps I'm about to describe. Um, but, you know, it, it starts with just, you know, awareness and education. You know, I think it's early this year. Um, 
most of our customers couldn't even say what hydrogen means, um, much less have a, a you know, well thought out strategy of does it fit in their decarbonization roadmap or not. So um, a lot of, of education and awareness, um, a lot of the perceptions that that's uh, very high price and, and can't be a good solution. And, and those economics have changed radically. So, uh, so I, I think just um, awareness uh, and, and education is a, is a first step. Um, and I love how much energy is going into this you know, from the academic sector, the government sector, these hub activities that we can maybe touch on that are bringing a lot of people together to, to, to kind of have these discussions. Um, once we get past that, um, certainly economics, I, I think um, for post IRA, the feedstock applications, I think have gone from a cost premium to a cost savings. So, you know, before it was, Hey, it's going to cost you a little bit more, but you've got some ESG goals and other other strategic reasons why it makes sense. Now it's just plain old reduced operating costs. And by the way, you're going to get some environmental benefits, uh, but that's kind of gravy for you. Um, in the you know in, in other other sectors, it's still uh, a modest cost premium. It's much much less now post IRA. But in some places, it's still a a modest cost premium. And so in those cases, um, you know there's going to be um, uh, end users who have strategic and other drivers, they say, hey, it's, it's a relatively modest premium. I'm going to go for it. Uh, but we've had customers that have said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to pay one more nickel for this unless I got a, a customer downstream of me that's going to pay me another nickel. Um, that's the good thing about, about that, and I totally, I totally get that, that approach. Um, good thing about that is I think almost every end product up to, out there, the market is starting to ask manufacturers, Hey, if, if I want green steel, if I want green concrete, and I'm willing to pay a premium for that, uh, you know, a modest premium for that, how do you create that product? How do you tag it? Um, but then, you know, our, our industrial customers can say, yeah, I've, I'll pay you a premium for this clean hydrogen or clean fuel because I, I, I'm able to get, you know, added revenues for that uh, downstream. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention, um, particularly in the industrial sectors, um, you know, a lot of folks have used natural gas for 100 years and have never used hydrogen before, um, and they're nervous about it. They don't understand it. Um, they don't understand the, the safety and the reliability and, and the technical integration um, uh, things, which which can be complex. It's not a you know, natural gas and hydrogen are two very different uh, molecules in terms of their characteristics. Uh, so we've we've had several customers that have gotten all the way through those gates I described. But they're now at, boy, how do I have to modify my plant? How is my plant going to operate differently? How do I make sure that, that I keep all my people safe? Nobody's going to do this. If, if there's any chance, it's not going to be done uh, totally safely. So um, we, we welcome that because it, that's, that's fun to kind of dive into those details with customers and, and figure it out. But uh, those are kind of all the steps that I think customers have to go through to, to ultimately get there. Yeah, absolutely. And the education piece, it's almost one of the reasons why we decided to do this, this podcast, you know, um, yeah. you know, obviously, Hypermatics, we're, we're a staffing and recruitment agency, we specialize in renewable energy and clean tech recruitment. But for us, this is this is not about that. This is about educating, you know, uh, uh people that may not be as familiar with the markets the you know the same way uh we are um a lot of the people we uh wind up uh, uh reaching out to and placing at businesses in the clean fuels and hydrogen space are coming from oil and gas super majors they're working on petrochemicals and things that are not you know clean yeah. at all 
Um, so for them, when we're going to market, you know, part of our process is educating them and and getting them excited about this space. And I love that that's part of your process as well. You're, you know, it sounds like going to a steel manufacturer and saying, hey, have you considered hydrogen as a solution? And they might not know anything about green hydrogen. They just know it's, you know, the periodic table connection, right? Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I really love that. Um, you know, from your perspective, right, how is, you know, is there anything else that needs to happen for, you know, uh, aside from what we discussed, for heavy industry and manufacturing um, to truly realize hydrogen, the, the potential for hydrogen? Um, and that's part one. And part two is, you know, what else needs to happen, more broadly speaking, in the hydrogen market for hydrogen itself to realize its full potential of decarbonizing multiple different uh, sectors of the industry? Yeah. So um, maybe I'll take the second one um, first. You know, analogies back to early days of wind. Um, you know, we had um, federal tax incentives to, to, you know, to bring the cost of wind down. Um, so that, that part of it is very analogous to the IRA that just got, just got passed of, um, you know, attractive incentives that bring down the cost side of it. But, you know, I, equally important in the early days of wind was renewable portfolio standards, you know, where there were, and these were state level initiatives, not everywhere, but, um, you know, some of the bigger markets uh, where you, you had the cost coming down, and you had a forcing function to, to kind of um, in, ensure that some deployment happens. Um, so you weren't solely waiting for the market to organically uh, pick up on this and make it happen. You had some forcing function. Um, and you know, we, we don't have that yet. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of countries around the globe are, are, are looking toward that or doing some of that. Um, the US is not yet. I, I think we will start to see some state level uh, I, I don't, you know, not, not real likely to get a federal one. We never got a federal one uh, RPS around, uh, around renewables, although um, folks tried many times. Uh, but I think we'll absolutely see some state level uh, initiatives and whether it's saying, hey, we want all of our gas distribution utilities to blend in 5% hydrogen into their pipelines and, and there's a cost recovery mechanism for that. Uh, so it's not forcing something that's economic on, on companies. It's creating a structure where you know, they're compensated for doing that and it's good business for them. Um, so I'd love to see some of that um, taking root. I think the, the whole market's got to digest the IRA and figure out where's the right, you know, time and place and, and way of doing that. Um, so that's one. I'm certainly eager for, you know, some real projects to get uh, announced and, and actually to get to happen. And, um, you know, it, it is, it's an enormous amount of talk in an industry that, I think in all of North America, the biggest green hydrogen project is like 25 megawatts right now. And people are talking about you know, gigawatt scale projects. So, you know, a few of these, you know, effectively getting off the ground, getting construction, ultimately operating and having success stories that, that people can look at, um, I think is going to be really important too. Um, and I think, um, and I, I, I think those, those initial success stories too, uh, we, we all read the news headline every day, and when we read some successful projects that have happened those first few, I was like, gosh, should, should we do something like that? So I, I think there'll be a cascading uh, through heavy industry. They see a few leaders, um, you know, sign up to do a few of these projects and saying, okay, maybe it, 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 there's some smart guys. They've, they've looked through this and decided to pull the trigger and do it. Uh, so I, 
think I'm going to start taking a harder look at it. So I'm eager to see all those things happen and, and the market to form. Uh, so you collect like the in the early days, um, you know, hydrogen purchase contracts are not flying off the shelf. <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it's it's a very very early days market. So seeing that market come together, especially with end users, and especially in, in industry, is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I I kind of love um, what you said there because it, it ties back to you know in my mind everything being more collaborative. And you know, there's a, look, there's always going to be a, a natural level of competition, and everywhere, right? But uh, you know, keeping in mind the fact that everything is fairly new, and there are going to be businesses yeah. that are sort of leading the way. And you know, despite the level of healthy competition that you know we expect and want in the market to kind of push each other to keep moving forward, um, it's cool because there are businesses that you know, uh, you know, as you said, right now we're talking about megawatts of what's like operating, and businesses are talking about in development <laughs> gigawatts. And as some of those, yeah. you know, um, some of those developers start to lead the way, it's going to open up the doors uh, for other people to start going in and saying, oh, well, they've, you know, they've put together a gigawatt pipeline of green hydrogen uh, projects. Yeah. We could do that too. I think that's going to be huge for just motivating the market to grow and grow and grow and just get it, get everything deployed and get it out onto the market. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, just, just to kind of transition in, into closing a little bit, uh, if you're open to it, I'd love to get, you know, give you an opportunity to share a little bit more about some passion projects you're working on. Uh, if you're, if you're comfortable telling everyone a little bit more about ambient fuels and, and a little bit more depth on the work you guys are doing there, I'd love to hear more about that as well. Um, or just anything you're you're excited to talk about in the in this market? Yeah, so maybe, maybe I'll, I'll start with just a real brief uh, about ambient fuels. So um, we are a, a pure play green hydrogen developer, um, and I think when we put the company together, that didn't really exist. And it's still there's a few now, but it's still uh, fairly rare. You know, a company that that's all we think about all day every day is that and. And how do we be the very, very best at you know electrolysis hydrogen production plants? Um, so it's been really cool to be a part of something like that. And um, you know we've put together a really interesting team of folks, both from renewable energy but also from conventional energy. And it's really interesting the debates we have. We, we all come from very different technical and business backgrounds, and, and we're both in a, a new industry for us. So you know merging the best practices from those two industries and letting go of things that are not best practices. That, hey, this is how we did it and win, but that didn't work here. This is not. This is a very different animal. Um, so it's been fun working with the team, and, and every day we're because it's such early days, figuring out what is the right way to design these, what is the right way to do the the, the structuring of the commercial offtake. Um, so that that is uh, a ton of fun. Um, something else I would say you, you kind of touched on it in your comments a moment ago. Um, the energy and enthusiasm about around the space is just unbelievable. And yeah, there's an element of, oh my gosh, there's an awful lot of competition now, but it, it's, I, I feel like it's almost a limitless opportunity uh, set that's out there. And so uh, we spend very little of our time worrying that we're going to get out, out competed by a competitor. And it's much more about, um, you know, we're working with people across the, the technology, the end users, um, a lot of uh, traditional energy players. Um, you know, you know, working, you know, we're meeting kind of every day with partners like that and figuring out where are they going to play in the space. Um, it's quite common for us to start a discussion as a potential customer, um, round through them being a potential competitor and end up with them being a partner. So 
you know, they're all trying to figure out um, is hydrogen kind of a, a boring utility that I want you know, somebody else to do, or is it an exciting industry of the future and I'll be a part of it? Uh, it's just a lot of fun brainstorming with companies and figuring out where people are in their journey and, and how we might work with them. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, you know, last little thing I'll say on the personal note, um, I just dropped my last kid off at college um, and she decided she's going into environmental engineering, which I thought was just the very coolest thing. And I didn't pressure her at all to do that, uh, but it, I think it's so cool that there are uh, a lot of kids these days who are inspired by uh, what the clean energy industry uh, might do and are, are kind of heading that way on their educational uh, path uh, at school. So. Yeah, and uh, that taught, you know, everything you just said right there ties back to, you know, my, my closing thoughts on the fact that, you know, one, you know, obviously we, we all have our jobs we come to do day in and day out. We have the things we're responsible for. But I think that, you know, everyone, I think I could speak for everyone when we say we're all on a journey. We're all learning new things every day. It's kind of an adventure, this green hydrogen and clean fuel space. And I think that the reason why I think there's so much collaboration in this space and why I think there's almost uh, a nice balance between healthy competition and collaboration is because it's it everything's new to a lot of us. Um, and yeah. therefore, you know, there's also that aspect of us being able to make an impact and make a difference. Um, just evident yeah. by the fact that I'm sure I'm sure your daughter, you know, looks up to you and she sees the work that you've done over the course of your career and it's going into environmental engineering. Um, so I, I think that's just a, a huge thing. I think everyone should be keeping in mind is, you know, we're here to collaborate. We're here to have fun. We're here to learn, you know, new things as we go along, go along. And as we continue to move forward and, and as everyone does their own thing, people are going to learn from each other and, you know, people are going to share ideas, hopefully. And, and I think it's just going to benefit everyone. And, and I think ultimately everyone has the same end goal in mind, which is the energy transition, which is decarbonization, setting up for a cleaner, healthier planet yeah. uh, for our kids in yeah. the future to have a, a, a better place to live, so to speak. So um, Absolutely. Chris, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.